Father, we want to come into your word this morning with the anticipation that you breathed these words, that they are relevant, that they are alive, that they are powerful for today. Lord, let this not be an academic exercise, but an endeavor to encounter you to encounter you in this spiritual communication that we who are spirit would connect with our spirits. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, would you go to the book of Revelation chapter 9? I'm Darren. If you're visiting, I'm one of the pastors here. We're so excited that you came. I know there's a lot of other great places to, to join and to fellowship on a Sunday in this area. And it, uh, it means a lot that you come and join us and what God is doing here. Um, we've been on the scenic route through Revelation. And uh, we won't review this morning. You could go back and listen. Uh, just send your love gift to our ministry. We will send you. No, no, I'm just kidding. It's for free online. Just go to condochurch.com. I, I was looking at this this week, and it, we're in the middle of these trumpet judgments, and it says that the fifth angel sounded, and I... I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like a great smoke of a, uh, the smoke of a great furnace. And so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit, and then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and they will not find it. They will desire to die and Death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lions' teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were... There were uh, stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in, hero, uh, in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek the name is Apollyon. And one woe is past. Behold, two still, still two more woes are coming after these things. The passage uh, starts out in, in eight, and you hear it a couple times in Revelation where it's whoa, 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 like three, like very emphatic whoa unto you kind of thing, which kind of reminds me parenthetically of a story of a man that answered an ad on Craigslist for a horse that was for sale, and he drives to this sort of up in the mountains, and this pastor was selling his horse, and he was an old-time preacher, and so they'd taught this horse Instead of like, whoa, for stop and giddy up, they taught them that praise the Lord was go and amen was stop. And this horse was a little crazy. She was a, an old mare. And so the guy says, hey, I want to try her out before I, I, I buy her. And so he says, yeah, she's a little crazy, but just remember, you know, amen and praise the Lord. And so 
he gets on there and he says, praise the Lord. And the horse took off like a bat out of hell, just and running out of control. And the, the guy is kind of panicked, going, whoa, whoa, whoa. The horse is not responding. She's crazy. She's heading towards this cliff over which would be a, a 50, 60 foot drop flying. He's going, whoa, whoa. And it, finally he remembers as they're getting close to the edge. He's like, oh, amen, amen, amen. And he pulls up and she stops right as they hit the edge. And she looks, he looks over and she's there. And they're like, oh, thank God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that's not what the, the woes we're talking about. But it just reminded me of that. Um, when I looked at this passage, I, I see John was writing to not just to us for the future, but to us back then, the church that he was writing to, which would have understood the Hebrew Bible, understanding there wasn't a Bible per se. They had the Torah, they had the scrolls. And so a lot of the imagery that God is using, if you were Jewish, you would have, it would have evoked pictures like, oh, that reminds me of this and that. And so when they would have read this, a star falling from heaven. What do you suppose that would have reminded them of? Anyone want to take a stab? I beheld you as a star falling from heaven. And by the way, the King James talks about it going to fall. The, uh, if you've got a New American Standard Bible, it actually renders it as, as having fallen. This is actually in the aorist tense, which means it's already happened, which is rendered correctly. So he's saying, I beheld as a, a star that had fallen from heaven. Anybody want to take a guess at what, if you're a Hebrew person reading that, would there have been something that jumped out at them? Lucifer? Isaiah 14, 12, if you turn there. Somebody tell me what page it's on. Remember, if you vote for me for president, I will, succinct paginization of the Bible will be one of my big platforms for president of the United States will be Synced up paginization. Pagina is there paginization? Is that a word? It is this morning. You just make up stuff if you're the president, right? <laughs> That's how that works. Isaiah 12, I'm sorry, verse 14. He said, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, and how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. I won't make you turn there, but in Ezekiel... 32, give or take. There's another passage where it talks about Satan as a star falling as well. And you might remember Jesus would say to his disciples in Luke chapter 10 that I beheld you as lightning fallen from heaven. If you were Jewish and if you're just a person that wants to understand what he's driving for, he's driving towards this idea that this is Satan being loosed on the earth, a star falling to the earth. This was prophesied in Isaiah. Remember, I've told you there's nothing new in Revelation. All this is is 400 and some odd illusions that are all from the old covenant brought together together and woven together to unveil what the Lord was trying to say throughout thousands of years. So there's a star falling to the earth, which represents Lucifer, it represents Satan and what happened. And then he talks about this bottomless pit, which is kind of a fascinating thought that there is a bottomless pit, wherever that might be, and that something, some things inside of them have been locked up and are being unleashed on the earth, speaking towards the future. 
during this time of Jacob's trouble, during this time of great tribulation on the earth. And if you ask what would be in that pit, I think that's a, a reasonable question. It's probably a good question. Who would have been in that pit? And I think that if you want to turn there and go to Second Peter with me, that Peter would allude to this pit as well. That there's something locked up in a pit that is not loose on the earth today. And we know that there are demonic forces on the earth today. If you don't believe me, I'd love you to get on a plane and go to Haiti with me. Talk to uh, a dear friend of mine who's part of a denomination that they decided that, some, you know, that uh, what happened in Acts was descriptive, not prescriptive, and so we, that, none of that. And I was like, so he's part of this denomination. Like, is, is there a debate going on? Like, I know the debate is here. It's in the newspaper 10 years ago. But is there a debate over there? And this is a, a man that was born and raised in Indonesia. And he's like, uh, no, there's no debate. Not when you see it in front of you. <laughs> it's like the, the debate is over. We don't sit around pontificating about what we're seeing when someone gets out of a wheelchair or when God does crazy big stuff. There's no debate for that. But there's something, though, that is not on this earth that has been locked up that will apparently be released at this period of time that's described here in Second Peter 2, 4. He says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment... And did not spare the ancient of the world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. And he goes on to describe that time. He's talking about angels, demons that were fallen angels that were locked up that aren't here right now. Perhaps that when Jesus was casting demons out of the person and they, they cried out, don't send us to the abyss, to the pit. And he said, said send them to the pigs, which it's a whole other conversation. Those were pigs that were in a place they shouldn't have been because they were, they weren't, well, obviously they're not kosher, which, I mean, thank God for that dream that Peter had, right? Can we just say amen to that? And now we can eat bacon. But he sends them over the edge. Jude, and you don't have to turn to it, I'll just, for the sake of time, refers to it as well. When the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. I think to understand the future, we have to go back to the past. And to this, if you can go with me to Genesis, because you can find that one pretty fast. If not, just go to the uh, intro and turn right, and you'll be there in a matter of no time. But there's this cryptic passage. Our kids, our youth, are actually reading through the Bible front to back this year. They've already been through this in Genesis. And they would have read this already. I talked to Carol this morning when she was cutting my hair. I could not have felt more like a televangelist. Had she have had some makeup, and a, but we, it wasn't, we just were upstairs. But talking about that they had just gone through this with, uh, with, with her kids. Like, oh, that's, what does this mean? But look what it says here. Maybe you've, there's the stuff in the scripture that is, and I think it's okay to call it bookshelf theology. I'm going to put that on a shelf for a little bit because that's a little weird. I don't understand that. And maybe at a time when the Lord will come back and reveal it, there's a lot going on in here. And, and this is one of those passages for me historically, but I, I feel like that he's given some revelation, pun intended, in Revelation 9, when it says, It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, 
and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, there are theologians who say that sons of God refers to like the sons of Seth, that it was the, the pure line coming from Adam, that that's what it would refer to. It sounds great, and it's really good because it makes it a lot easier to try to describe, but it doesn't really float when you look at the rest of the context of it. The word sons of God in there in the Hebrew is ben Elohim, which is a word translated four other times in the Old Covenant, always translated as angels, always. This fifth time, would it have been translated differently? I don't think so. Ben Elohim, these fallen angels who came, and which makes more sense when you go back to Genesis, and it says, the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one and 120 years. Look at verse 4, and there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And he goes on to talk about with those passages we've always heard and remembered that uh, he was going to send a flood. Now think with me. If this might make you uncomfortable. And if you don't agree with it, that's fine. But think with me. Angels, fallen angels on earth, who could apparently, according to this, have relations with women, and were giants and men of renown, things that we don't understand, things that, why would God have had to have hit reset on humanity? Unless maybe that there was, the bloodline of man was being corrupted. Maybe. There was nothing more important than man for the bloodline of man to become and to remain pure because Messiah was going to come through man. It was critical that they would remain together. Now think with me. God's idea was that man would be fruitful and multiply. That's God's idea. The enemy's idea was that he wanted to help out. And at that point, when God hit reset on the earth it's entirely plausible that the Ben Elohim, the angels, the fallen ones that Jude refers to, that Second Peter refers to, were cast into and locked up into a bottomless pit and are trapped there until a time when they're going to be released. It's possible. Go back with me to Revelation 6, and I'm going to tell you why this all matters. You're like, this is great, Darren. This is so weird. Revelation 6, when I read it, refers to me, and hang with me, I promise this is going to, if nothing else, jar you, <laughs> but hopefully make sense and, and give you some peace. When I read Revelation 6, what I see is, you, who remembers Bizarro Superman? Come on, if you're, I know, all you're really saying is I'm completely over 40 or when I say that, everything was the complete opposite. Right was wrong, up was down, hello was goodbye. In a weird way, in a very oversimplistic way, that's been the enemy's plan is a falsifying. And look, when I look at this, there's scorpions. 
that are given power over men. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 10? I give you power over scorpions. God's idea is that we would have power over it. The enemy's idea is that he would have power over us. When I read Revelation 9, I believe, yes, that there is a future thing that is going to happen that I personally believe that we as believers will be spared from simply because if it's the time of Jacob's wrath, and Paul would tell us that God has not appointed you and I under wrath, then we won't be here. I could be wrong. I do know this, that we will be spared whether it's here or in heaven. But I see this and think this is the answer. Jesus' prayer, he said, teach him how to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the answer to the prayer. My will be done, my kingdom come. This is the answer saying, we will not have you to be the Lord over us. This is the pinnacle of what the enemy wants from you and from me, which is utter and complete destruction. And if you go back to, follow me on this, see if you can smell what I'm stepping in. You go back to Revelation 9 and look at what it talks about. Locusts, first of all, there's darkness that comes out of nowhere. There's locusts that are, they're not hurting the, the, the ground, they're hurting the man. They're picking away at him, eating at the men. Scorpions that are coming and, and stinging that we ought to have had authority over, but instead they now have authority over man. Now, when I take God's ideas and I mix Satan's ideas together with them, in the book of James, I tell you there's only pretty, there's two options, and that is where your wisdom comes from. James chapter 3 tells us there's, your wisdom is either coming from God or it's coming from Satan, from demonic. Those are it. It's either God's wisdom or Satan's wisdom. When I mix, listen, when I mix God's wisdom and Satan's wisdom, the demonic and the pure and the perverted, the, the fallen angels and man coming together and created some of the greatest wickedness on the history, of, so wicked that God had to hit restart on humanity. When I take God's ideas and I mix my ideas in with, or Satan's ideas together, his wisdom and God's wisdom together, some of the greatest wickedness on the face of the earth still happens. That's why I believe religion is very simply put, mixing God's ideas and Satan's ideas into one. Think through history, the most horrific wars throughout history. The Crusades. That was God's idea of go into all the world and preach the gospel. Satan's idea, go in and conquer them and make them convert, came together and created the Crusades. Hitler's ideas were born out of really bad theology. Islam, the radical Islam, what's happening that's sweeping the globe is God's idea that was mixed with demonic, want you to go for Christ and for Jesus, and all of a sudden religion, I mean, the word religion, you, you know this if you've been around, it simply means in the, in the original language of Latin, it's to bind up. Jesus came to set us free, religion comes to bind us up. Think with me into the garden, and we're going to get back to Revelation 6. 
And I want to give you some time to do some business with the Lord this morning. Go back to the garden with me in your mind's eye. And Eve, the serpent is talking to her. And he said, this fruit, you should eat this fruit. It's, it's, has God not said this? Has God, and he's twisting God's words. And so there's Satan's ideas coming in. And Eve says, we're not supposed to eat this fruit in Genesis 3. We're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch it. problem with that is that is not what God said. What God said was don't eat it. She added don't touch it and legalism was born. Is it a good idea if you're not supposed to eat it that you shouldn't even touch it? Well that cures that problem but when you start putting those rules and regulations in place that God didn't ask you to put in place, that's religion. When Jesus encountered the men that he had set out two by two I don't know if I've got it in here still or not. In Luke chapter 10, we don't have time to go there. In Luke chapter 10, the disciples had just come back. He'd sent them out two by two, and it says they had great joy because of what they've seen. You've heard me say that before. They said that the demons were subject to us. They were, that we saw these things happen. And Jesus said, he said this, don't rejoice that the demons were subject to you. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then he says, For behold, I beheld Satan as fallen from heaven like lightning. And I believe maybe what Jesus was inserting into their hearts and their minds was that in your going and doing for what the Lord has called you to do, don't get drunk on your own power. Don't celebrate just because the demons are subject to you and you become prideful about it. Celebrate because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a celebration. That's the real party. And I say that and I want to caution and I want to issue a word to conduit to Darren that God has allowed us to do some amazing things in this world that are far beyond what I thought or imagined when we started this little thing called conduit. When my wife and I sat down and had the conversation, I think the, 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 I can't even convey to you the lack of thought we put into it other than we just wanted to feed some kids in Haiti. And then the Lord sort of did some crazy stuff for us. Don't get drunk on that power. Don't rejoice because what God has done through conduit, that will breed pride. And what did Satan, it's so subtle. The ministry can be such a subtle seductress. Don't fall in love more with the ministry than you're in love with Jesus. If you do, you're out of, out of it's like you're a chiropractor. You just good pop of the back and put it back in. Because if you go down that road, that ministry becomes your God. And that is true of us as well. We cannot let that happen. Don't rejoice. We put the little picture of what's the conduit in Togo. and they say, Don't rejoice that God did that. That's awesome, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And now I'm going to bring it back, hopefully, to the idea of you and me personally. Not just in religion and in church and what could be dangerous for us here at Conduit, but for you and me personally. When I mix God's idea with Satan's idea and I breed those together, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in my relationships, whether it's in my just personal walk, I have the 
makings of a giant problem. When you have made some decisions that God's decision was that man would be fruitful and multiply. Satan's idea is whoever you want, whenever you want. That's Satan's idea coming together with God's idea and it doesn't work. And follow the logic of Revelation 6. And if you've been through, if you've, if, if you've been spared from making really dumb decisions, congratulations. But for the rest of us, see if this sounds familiar. When you've put yourself in a position where God's ideas and Satan's ideas, Satan, wisdom from above and wisdom from the pit of hell, coming together, create darkness in your life and depression. The darkness of depression. The fog. Smoke. Out of the smoke would come this darkness. And then these locusts come and they... You remember the pressure, I just, it's like it's eating me alive. It's eating me inside. I can't, the, the, the stress of this thing. And emotionally, you're, you become unstable and your anger comes and you're lashing out at your kids. You're lashing out at your spouse. You're lashing out at whoever, the sting of a scorpion, the rage, the, the pain, the stinging of that. And some of you have made it far enough down the road where the, and I don't even have a reason to live anymore because of the destruction in my life, because of the anger, because of the despair, because ultimately it ends with there is no hope. And I want you to know, and I'm not aiming this at individuals today, I'm aiming this at the enemy. I am sick and tired of that. I am sick and and tired of the conversations that I get to have with people whose lives have been train wrecked because we've mixed God's ideas with Satan's and before we know it it's 15 years in and there's no hope and there's destruction and there's darkness and despair and your emotions take over you instead of you controlling them. Jesus' promise was look who wasn't harmed by the scorpions, those who were marked by the Lord. You have been marked if you were Jewish and you were reading this and you saw locusts and you saw plagues, it would remind you of this time when Israel was rescued and a time when this angel of death, of destruction was promised and God told them, if you'll take the blood from this lamb and you'll paint it, so to speak, on your door, on the left of the door and on the right, a little spot, and on the top, and then at the bottom where the bowl where your feet would be put blood there, making the shape of a, of a cross that you would be spared. That what Christ did on the cross for you, paid for you to not have to put up with this crap. You don't have to live that way. And it's not a harshness against you saying, oh, it's your fault and beat yourself up. None of that. I'm just saying at what point do you decide it's done, it's over, I'm not, no more, not on my watch. And you might think, yeah, but Darren, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the relationship you don't understand what happened. Nelson Mandela was in prison for 27 years. And when he was asked on the other side, when he got out, and you know the story, he came out and he became a bastion for humanity to look at and say, there's another option here. There's a guy named Tony Robbins who's internationally known, but he asked Nelson Mandela, how did you deal with the suffering that time? And he said, what suffering? 
That was preparation. Is it true that somebody could look at the exact same situation in their lives and respond to it differently? Is that true? Yes. What is the situation, and it's probably not God's best for your life, things, I can't control some of the things that are going to happen in my life. I was talking to Carol this morning, and many of you know her husband passed away years ago, not that long ago. She couldn't choose that. She didn't have that option to choose what was going to happen that morning when he got on the motorcycle and went to work, and then their last conversation. But she could choose how she was going to respond to it. And what I believe is this. You have been marked by Christ. You have been paid for. The price he paid was so great. And that his idea is that he was giving you the keys to the heaven, keys to the power to travel on serpents and scorpions. And and if you don't take it, that's... It's like you've moved into the mansion, but you're just going to live in the foyer. It's nice in there, but there's so much else. Have you seen the bathroom? Have you seen what God has done for you? <laughs> this is such a guy thing. <laughs> it's got like an iPad. It's huge. <laughs> what I want to plant in you, and we don't have time to go there this morning, but we're going to go there next week. Is you don't have to live that way, and I promise you that the power that God gave you, but he's asking you to partner with him. Your transformation falls squarely into your lap with him in the middle of it. That's why Revelation, or Romans 12 says to be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. But this morning, for the sake of what we've just swept through here, I believe that what's happening in our future is going to be hellish and awful and the results of what, you know, my will be done, my kingdom come here on earth. But some of us are living in those results right now of saying, my will be done, my kingdom come. And I want to encourage us today, we're going to worship. We're actually going to have a few minutes extra to worship this morning. Because think about it, normally when I challenge you on something, we do one song, we do the communion, we do the offering, and you're in your car within seven minutes. The sower sows the word. That's all I've done this morning is sow the word. Now it goes into your hearts. I want to give you time for the word to take hold in you. It talks about the birds that would come and pick it away. Birds in the Bible are almost always a picture of evil, of wickedness, of the enemy coming to steal it away. Before you get in the car and the fight erupts with your wife or with your kids, or before that, you know, you're like, oh, I'm standing in line at this thing, and oh, the Baptists have beat me to lubies again, and I don't. Before that happens, <laughs> do they have lubies here? All of Oklahoma and Texas. I know what that is. Before that happens, I want the word to take hold in your heart. I can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But here's the questions I want to ask and I want to set before you this morning. Where is it in my life where God's ideas and Satan's ideas are melding together and creating hell on earth for me? The darkness of depression. Do you feel an emotion or do you do an emotion? We are emotional creatures. God created us in his image. God has emotions. Jesus had emotions. If you don't think, we go with him into the temple when he was turning over tables. There was an anger. But here's the secret. He didn't stay there. 
where we, God's idea, yeah, you have emotions. So Satan's idea, that they take over you. And you live there. That's Satan's idea, and it is hell on earth. And there is not a medication on the planet that will take care of it. It's up to us in the renewing of our minds, and that's what I want to talk about next week. But for today, what I want you to do is to take it to the cross. We've got communion available here. There's a rug here. (laughs) We're going to bring more rugs in, so if you want to go and get on your knees somewhere. But I want you to do business with God this morning. I want you to ask him this morning, what is it that I... What is it that you want from me, that you want me to do, that you want me to be? And what is standing between me and that? For many of you, it is like it's depression. It's something that's locked a hold of you. Is it that? Some of you, it's an anger thing. I can't, Darren, I just can't control it. I just get so angry. What is it? Is it your finances? But what is it that where you've mixed God's ideas and Satan's ideas and created hell on earth for yourself? And I'm going to ask you to do something that might feel initially, because in our culture, we want to cure that. We want to take you to the doctor. We want to give you some medicine and call it a disease. I'm going to ask you to repent of it this morning. Not a beat you over the head, beat me over the head. Repent just simply means to change your mind about it. I'm just thinking this way, but I've really been thinking about that wrong. I want to think about what God's thoughts are about that. That's repentance. Imagine a church full of people who understand that God gave you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, not the other way around. That he gave you the power to break through depression, not for depression to wrestle you to the ground. He gave you the power to overcome your anger, not to let that anger destroy your children or destroy your relationships. You have the power. Imagine a body of believers that believed that that responded to that. I mean, good Lord, what could we do? (laughs) And then we could all just rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm just saying that he promised us an abundant life. Don't you want it? I do. Go do some business with the Lord. The blood that was spilled for you, paid for your sins, it covers every sin you've ever committed. It will cover any sin you've committed today or any sin tomorrow. Sin missing the mark, aiming wrong. It covers that, so it's not a beat yourself up. It's literally a shake yourself free. For those of you this morning that feel like you might be at the verge of a breakdown, maybe it's you're on the edge of a breakthrough. The blood that was spilled, the bread, the body that was broken that paid for that. And the fact that then he gave you the keys to the kingdom of heaven that you and people around you could experience heaven on earth. Unleashing hell on earth in your life, you don't have to live that way. I'm not saying you're not going to have problems in your life. Jesus promised the other way around. But when Paul said that I've learned the secret to being content in Philippians 4, he wrote it from prison saying, I've learned whether I had much or whether I had little, that I could be content, fulfilled, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So that whatever your situation, how many people that you know that are wealthy, that are depressed out of their minds, that are broken, watch VH1 behind the music if you don't believe me. 
And how many people? I mean, John, you've been to these countries, these little children and some of these moms in countries where they've got nothing. There's, there's joy in their hearts because it had nothing to do with how much or how little. It's just they, they knew that they had Jesus. You've got Jesus today. Would you rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life as we worship? We're going to do two or three songs. We'll still do an offering at the end and send you out. But I just want you to go to wherever the Lord leads you in this room and enjoy the forgiveness, enjoy, and dream with the Lord his ideas and repent of the enemy's ideas in your life. Father, would you reveal to us this morning, speak to me, speak to everybody who's gathered here. What are the ideas that I am combining in my life? Is it in my personal life for the young, for single people? Is it I'm combining that I'm living a life of promiscuity and I can repent of that? Is it that I've chosen because it's comfortable to go to a place of depression because it felt comfortable? Is it something that you could heal there, God? What's driving me there? If it's anger, if it's just the simple things of finances, if whatever it is in our lives, God, I, it's you and your job and your Holy Spirit's job to talk to us this morning and to wake us up, to help us do battle against those wicked ideas in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.